0: Challenge. Gracias, reto del amor. No, Nos encantó no, no, el reto no, no, no. del amor. Thank you, love challenge. Keep it going. Let's keep the love challenge going. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us. And all of you who are online right now, we're so grateful that you're worshiping with us today. Some of you live in a different state in the country or a different country in the world. You are living in different places all over the state of Texas, and you are here and you are a part of the service, and we're so grateful that you are. And I am so grateful for all of those who are in person, yay God for you, on all of our campuses, and we've gathered together to praise God, to worship the Lord together and to be with each other and I am so grateful for all of you as being a part of this service. Now, before we go anywhere else, before we address anything that we want to talk about in the message, I want us to stop as a whole church and to pray for people in Ukraine and what they are going through right now. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, I do not know the latest, I don't know the update, I don't know what is happening. In the, the um, capital city, I don't know what is happening in other places in the country, but oh God, I, my heart goes out for these people. Many of them know Christ as Savior. There are brothers and sisters in Christ and others who don't know Christ but need to know Jesus as Savior. And they are under such a horrific attack. God, we ask that you would be with them. We pray for a David and Goliath moment that happens. We pray for rescue that happens in this country. We pray that you would strengthen the president of Ukraine and that you would strengthen those leaders all around that country and the young men and the young women that have taken arms and and the older men that have taken arms. And we ask, Father, that you would give them the courage and the wisdom they need to stand at this moment. We pray for your help with them. And I pray, Father, for the Russian army, that they would come to a realization that it's wrong and they would walk away. I pray that you would take Vladimir Putin out of office. I pray that you would destroy his leadership in this nation. I pray that you would rescue the nation of Russia and the people of that nation from his leadership. Father, I pray that you would be with our president and our Congress and all those who are in leadership who are working so hard during these days. Give them understanding and wisdom and direction and courage. And Father, may the whole world stand. May the whole world stand in prayer to you and cry out to you for help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard this stated by someone, I don't know who it was, but the statement I thought was amazing. When democracy is under attack anywhere, it is under attack everywhere. And that is why people in freedom need to stand with other people in freedom. And I am grateful for the fact that we are doing that. All of us have times in our life in which we face hurtful and difficult moments in our life. And sometimes when we face those times, it's not a big deal, There is not, it's not really that big of a problem, we just blow it off, we're fine, we go on. But there are other times in our life we face great difficulty and challenge in our life. And we don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with this. Someone has hurt us, someone has done something, someone is offended, and now how do we deal with this issue? I wanna talk to you today about the challenge of forgiving. I didn't recognize the names, I should've I guess, but these two women were in their 20s in 2001. What courage that these women had. They were in their 20's in 2001 and they left this country and they went to Afghanistan to tell people in Afghanistan about Christ. And it wasn't just two people, there were actually eight, there were six beyond these two. One of those was Dana Curry, another Heather Mercer. Missionaries who left our country went to Afghanistan to share the gospel. But all eight of these individuals who did this were all abducted by the Taliban in 2001. And they were put on trial in front of the Taliban and they were convicted of telling people about Jesus. But in most, if not every Muslim country, that's against the law. And in some countries, you can pay with your life, and this is the Taliban. And so millions of Americans started being deeply worried and in prayer for these eight women who were so brave to go. But now they are in a position, we don't know whether they will take these women's lives or not and people were praying and praying for these eight ladies. And then suddenly out of nowhere, on November the 16th, 2001, all eight of them were released. There had to be some kind of a deal that was struck behind the scenes. All of them came back to the United States and there was celebration and people were so relieved, so grateful, all the reporters there asking them all these questions that we would anticipate them being asked. And one of those questions that was asked the answer, I mean, we, we could have anticipated the question being asked, but the answer was pretty surprising, until we got the explanation. The question that was asked by one of the reporters was, what was the greatest challenge you faced during this whole months in prison, all of this ordeal? What was the greatest challenge you faced? And the answer was, The hardest thing we faced was trying to learn how to get along with each other. But then when the explanation came, they said, all eight of us were in a tiny little room. Every minute of every day in a tiny little room. We didn't even know each other that well when we left. And now we're in a room and it's not just for a day, it's not just for a week, but for months. Being together, there was no free space, there was no alone space, and we were all together for all these months. And we all responded differently to so many things and we came to a place that we had to learn how to forgive each other and learn how to accept each other the way every one of us were wired. I gotta tell you, I'd have gone crazy being with seven other men in a small room for months. You know what, it is a human thing. You get a group of human people together, most people are human, you get this whole group of people together and for all this time and there's no space, you are sooner or later gonna have problems, that's just the straight of it. Because it is a people thing. And all of us who are, we're just around other people and from time to time there's little bitty things that happen, it's nothing, we blow it off, psh, go right on. But every so often there is a deep wound that happens, there is a hurt and a pain and what do we do now? And what it is that we do is going to make a huge difference in how healthy we are, how happy we are because of how we respond in every church I've pastored, I, I've had people come and see me, and they've just come to a place in which they don't like each other and don't think they ever will. Some of those are marriages, and some of those are just people that know each other, and they come to this place, this impasse with each other, and they just don't think we, they can ever get on the other side of it. And it is almost never just an event that happens. It's a series of events. It is some issue that happens, and and they don't deal with it well. And maybe they say, Oh, I am so sorry, and blah, blah, blah. I forgive you. But then it happens again, then it happens again, then it happens again. And there's layers, and all these layers begin to pile up. And there is a deepening resentment and anger and uh, happening and bitterness that are happening. And there comes upon them and say, Okay, I can't stand you anymore and I don't want to be around you ever again. Because we, it can't, we can't get on the other side of it. But I'm telling you, you can. And I want to talk to you about that today. Now, here is the truth. There may need to be some counseling, Christian counseling in the midst of it. And I'm just telling you, Christian counseling is a great thing. It is a wonderful tool. It can help you. Don't shy away from that. Here I am to tell you that you can get to the other side no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it feels. And I want to talk to you about that very thing. I want to talk to you today about the subject of forgiveness. We've been going through the love challenge in the love chapter. First Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter, has been called that for hundreds of years. And we have been going through this chapter together, asking God, teach us afresh what it means to actually love another person. Love isn't a feeling, love's a decision. Show me what it means to actually love someone else. And this whole love chapter actually begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31 when God says, let me show you a better way to live. And then it's capped with 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 in which God then says to us, let love be your greatest goal in life. So over the course of nine Sundays, this is the eighth Sunday. Next week is the last Sunday of the love challenge. Every week we have been challenging, letting the Bible challenge us with a phrase, going phrase by phrase, of the next aspect of what true love really looks like. And today we have reached the eighth of the nine challenges. So let's take a look. We come to the end of verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13. This is the eighth week, and we've only made it five verses. Mark Hartman, what is so wrong with you? You are so slow. But listen to what he says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Every single one of those we have taken on in this series and last week was, it is not easily angered. And We discover the Bible does not say anger is a sin. The Bible says how we deal with anger is the, either the sin or not the sin. It says, be angry and sin not. It's how we deal with it. And all of what we talked about last Sunday was how to deal with anger in a way in which is positive and not negative. And then now this morning, I want to come to the last part of this verse five. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The word record is actually an accounting term That means it keeps no ledger. No running ledger of all the wrongs. It does not have an ability to say, do you remember three years ago on the second month and the 14th day and the third hour of the day when you did such and such? Love keeps no record of wrongs. What he's saying is is that love does not hold a grudge. Love forgives. So I want us to look at what this means, love forgives. And I want us to look at it in the life of an Old Testament character named Job. When you see the name, it looks like Job. And I'm going to tell you, people that have not actually done much reading of the Bible, and they're, but they're trying to prove that they have, you know, and they say, you know, I've read Job, and I have read several other, and I'm, well, that's the dead giveaway. It's Job, so remember that. Job, it is a character named Job. And at the time that Job lived, he was one of the richest people who knows, maybe the richest in the known world. He had all this stuff, all this, uh, and he had an incredible family, but in what felt like maybe just one day, just the turn of a day, he lost everything. His wife deserted him, he got a, an illness that could not be cured, he, he lost everything he had, anything that meant anything to him was gone. It was all gone. And it wasn't anything negative he did. And then three of his friends came. They came at the beginning to encourage him. You've lost everything, all this coming to encourage you. But when they saw all the devastation that had happened to Job, they started thinking to themselves, nobody can have this much devastation unless they have done some really, really, really bad stuff. And God's mad at them. So come clean, Job. What are all the bad things you've done? And they began to pelt him with that. And these three friends that came to encourage him ended up discouraging him even more berating him, belittling him, pushing him down, though he thought he couldn't go any lower, they pushed him down even lower. And here's Job, he is going through all of this. And if there was anybody that could have hated, anyone who could have been embittered, anyone who could have felt like the, my whole life has come to an end, it was Job, but he didn't, he, came to a place in which he turned and he responded correctly to everything that was happening in his life, including these three friends. And the Bible says God blessed him with twice as much as he ever had before. Now here is the question I'm asking you. Is it possible with what you're going through right now, with what negative thing, negative hurt you're going through, all the pain and people turning against you and and people saying stuff and, and someone who damaged you, is it possible that you could be in a moment in which God wants to use to bless you double? to bless your life, to to bring you out of this moment in such a tremendous way that you would be better and stronger than you'd ever been before, only because you learned how to respond in a right way. Is it possible that God has that in mind for you? I think it is. And that's what I wanna talk to you about today. I wanna talk to you about the idea of forgiveness. There are four principles to the journey of coming to the place of releasing. No matter what someone did to you, coming to the place of healing. And I want to take you through those four principles. Four principles of how do we release the hurt that has come into our life. The first principle is simply this, admit that you are hurt. I know that sounds silly, doesn't it? But here's the truth, there are many people who, trying to be tough, trying to be strong, try, live in denial. I'm fine, it's not a problem, I'm fine. And they keep right on going, but the truth is, it is eating them up inside. When we bottle it up, it creates more pain than we realize. As one per- person put it, when I repress my hurt, my stomach keeps score. And one of the most important things that you begin this whole thing, how do I get to this other side of the hurt, is to acknowledge the hurt. Job does this in the story. In Job chapter 7, verse 11, he says, I can't be quiet. I'm angry and I'm bitter and I have to speak. He wasn't announcing that to a crowd, he was announcing that to himself. He was admitting to himself, I've been wrongly treated, and I'm angry, and I'm bitter, and I'm gonna just put it right out there. I'm admitting the truth about me. He doesn't just admit it about himself, he admits it to God. Listen to what he says in Job chapter 10 verse one. Listen, he's talking to God, he's praying, listen to my bitter complaint. Don't condemn me, God, and then he lavishes all of that complaint. He just throws it out there, and he explains everything he's going through and how he's been mistreated and what's been ripped from him, and he lays it all out there for God to hear. And I'm gonna tell you, he did it right. He started out being honest with himself about the pain that was actually in his life and he was honest with God and this is the first step. As simple as it may sound, this is the first step to releasing your hurt. The second thing is this, identify those who hurt you. And you're probably thinking, that won't be hard. It's so and so or so and so and so and so but actually I wish I would have worded it better because that's not really what I'm after. What I'm after is I want you to come and see in balance, in fullness, the person that hurt you or the people that hurt you and what I mean is everybody has strengths and weaknesses and they have strengths as well as weaknesses too. Have you noticed that when we really like someone you know, there's somebody we spend a lot of time with. We like them. We know them. We, we, we enjoy their company. And they do some dumb thing. We just blow it off. Oh, yeah, they did some. Dumb, but I'm going to tell you, they are great people. This is a great person. It's nothing what they did. It's not, no, no big deal. But did you also notice, have you also noticed, that when you don't like someone and they do something good, it's really easy to blow it off. Oh yeah, he did something good, but I'm gonna tell you that guy is I no good. Let me tell you about that guy. The truth is every person and even the people that mistreated you, the person that mistreated you, every single person has strengths and weaknesses, everyone. And what I'm really saying is come to see the whole person. That part of coming to the place of releasing your hurt is coming to be honest in your own heart about the whole person. Even the good things about that person's life. To step back and say, you know, that person really hurt me, but I've seen so many good things about this person. And identify those things for yourself. And I'm gonna tell you why. If you see the whole person, not just the bad things the person did, but good things the person has done, it will soften your heart. And that is part of the boundary that is holding us back from releasing the hurt. It's coming to see the whole person and being honest in a balance about the good things of that person as well as the bad. When we come to recognize the fact that God loves that person as much or more, well, not more, as much as he loves you, And that person has done as much good or more as you've done for God. When we come to see that person in a different light, to see the fact God loves that person too, and that person has been used by God to do great and wonderful things too, it softens our heart toward that person. Part of the reason we don't let ourselves do it is because we don't want our to hurt them. We want to justify our anger. But the greatest way to get rid of the hurt is to admit that you hurt and number two, be willing to see this person in balance and in fairness. The third thing is this, then release the offense. Release the offense. Holding on to bitterness is like grabbing hold of um, an, a, a burning coal in a fire, in a fireplace. Taking hold of... Uh, of a of a coal that that's been on fire that's hot that's red hot grabbing hold of that coal so that you can throw it at the person you don't like and burn them by the time you get the coal to them you have been burned a whole lot more than they will ever be burned and holding on to resentment does far more damage to you than it will ever do to the other person. Did you know that rattlesnakes, if you corner a rattlesnake, they get so angry that sometimes they bite themselves? No, I was stunned by that. May that be my story if I ever get around a rattlesnake. He got so mad at me, he bit himself. May that be the story. This is exactly what harboring hate and resentment and bitterness against other people does to you and to me. It hurts us worse. Job's friends had hurt him. They were disloyal, they criticized him, they misunderstood him, they wounded him, and Job didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything to them. He was innocent. Yet, he came to a place in his life that he released them. He released his hurt against them. Why is it so important to release the offense? For all of you who are like 15 and a half, 16 years of age, you're learning how to drive and the rest of us are very, very afraid. But you're learning how to drive and you've got a driver, a driving instructor and you are in the car and you are out there and you are learning how to drive. And one of the things that your driving instructor is gonna to say to you, when you are on a two lane road with one, the traffic going one direction, the direction you're going and traffic coming the other way and you are on a two lane road, he will say, he or she will say to you, don't look at the line in between the two lanes. You notice it, you see it, you're not blind, but don't focus on it. You're aware there's a line in between, but don't focus on the line, and you know why? Because subconsciously what happens to us is that whatever it is we focus to, we move toward, and you will accidentally be moving your car toward that line, and that is not a good thing. And in the lane, that's the other lane, you're going this direction, here comes a car coming this way. And your driving instructor will say to you, now when that car is coming, I know that looks scary, but whatever you do, don't focus on that car. You can notice the car, obviously you gotta notice what's going on around you. You can notice the car, but don't focus on the car. And you know why? Because if you do, you will subconsciously begin to move your car toward that car. You know what you gotta do when you drive? I should be an instructor, I could make some extra money here. Here's what you do when you drive. You put your, your focus on the center of your lane. You notice everything around you, but you keep your focus on the center of your lane. And if you do that, you will drive straight as an error because you will drive to where your focus is. Now, why am I saying all this? Some people, when they're growing up, they, they grow up in a dysfunctional family. I heard one person say every family is dysfunctional in one way or another, I don't know. But maybe in a dysfunctional situation where the dad was abusive or the mom was abusive and then they grow up to be adults and they say to themselves, I am not gonna be like my dad. I'm not gonna be abusive like my dad. And what happens to their great surprise over time when they put all their emphasis in not being like someone? They don't even realize it. They are actually becoming slowly but surely like the person, and here's why. They've got all their focus on that person. You know what you ought to do? You ought to find somebody who does it right, who who is wonderful, and you say, I want to be like this person so that your focus is on that person, and it will help you be amazing because you will move to be just like the one you focus your attention on. So why do I keep talking about this? And here is the reason. The problem with bitterness and anger and hatred is that it keeps us focused on the wrong thing. If I carry that bitterness towards someone, if I am so angry at someone and I carry that anger and I think about it every day and I think about it every day, I am not realizing what's happening to me, but I am actually moving in the direction that I don't want to go because that's where my focus is. And the only way you can get past that is if you release your hurt. And the only way you can release the hurt is to uh, release your offenders. And that's what Job did. So look at, look at what it says in Job chapter 42, verse 10. After, circle the word after, after Job prayed for his three friends, not praying, "Oh God, bring fire from heaven on my three friends. No, it wasn't that prayer. It was a good prayer. We even have the prayer. When he prayed good things for his three friends, God made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. And is it possible that God could use this moment in your life in which you feel pain, you feel hurt, you're disappointed, but you respond well to it and you give up your hurt and your offense and the offenders and you give them up And God uses this moment in your life to bless you. Forget the word prosperous, we're not talking about prosperity, we're talking about prosperity of life, we're talking about that my life could even be better than it was before this hurt. Jesus is the one that said this, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, And he's not just talking about men here, anybody. When you do not forgive another person when they've hurt you, they've wounded you, they've done, you cannot believe, Mark, what they did to me. When you forgive them, God forgives you. But if you do not forgive their sins, God will not forgive your sins. It's right there in the Bible. And I didn't write it, Jesus said it. And is it possible you're putting yourself in a position in which, oh God, forgive me, no. Oh God, forgive me this, no. No, no, no. You got to go get this relationship right. You got to go, you got to at least release the pain and release the offender. And then the answer will be yes. And you may be thinking, I'm not doing that because if I do that, I let that person off scot free. And I've had the same thought before. But there are three reasons why we must do it. We must release our offender. First, because you can trust God to deal with your offender. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. This is what God says. I will repay, says the Lord. And now some in this room are saying, this is now my favorite verse in the Bible. Yeah, God for this, I didn't know it was there, now I do, I'm gonna memorize this verse. God is saying, I know what happened, I will deal with it, you can release the person, I'm handling the situation. They're not getting off scot-free. But by the way, there is another side to this, because sometimes you and I, whether we consciously or subconsciously, we hurt somebody, we offend somebody else, and all of a sudden this isn't all that great of a verse. Because God deals with us too. God is saying to us, would you release your offender? I'll handle them, I'll take care of them. You don't even know, I'm already at work in their life. I'm already gonna handle this thing very, very well. You can release it. Second of all, because God promises to take every offense that we hand over to him, he takes them all in order to accomplish his great purpose in our life and so listen to what it says this verse we've heard so many times Romans 8:28 and we know that all things work God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose do you love God do you want Jesus in your life have you said yes to Jesus I want you in my heart God says to us, if you love me and you have given your heart to Christ, let me tell you, I'm gonna make a promise, no matter whether it's good or bad, I'm gonna use it in a positive way in your your life. I am going to turn this whole thing around and it is going to bless you, it's going to help you, it's gonna make you stronger, but you gotta give it to me. And if you do, you're gonna come out of this thing looking great. You're gonna come out of this thing just fine. I'll make sure of it. I'll help you get to the other side. The third is this, because forgiven people should forgive people. There's a plus and minus to this idea. The minus is this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, do not judge or you'll be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you again. He is saying, let me just tell you, you're judging other people you're gonna end up being judged. But there is a positive to this and it's in Ephesians chapter four verse 31 and here is what it says. You've been forgiven and because God has forgiven you, now go forgive others with the same forgiveness you've gotten from God. Forgiven people should forgive Others Now, does forgiveness mean that you resume the relationship without changes? No. This is the shocker, so stay with me. Forgiveness is not the same as restoration. Forgiveness addresses the damages that have been done and walks away from them. Real forgiveness relinquishes attempts to get even. Real forgiveness decides to respond to evil with good. Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse 27, 28, do good to those who hate you, bless those that curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Real forgiveness decides to let it go. But forgiveness does not mean that you resume a relationship without changes. Forgiveness is not the same as restoration. I've used this phrase several times uh, in the past, so let me say it again. It's this idea. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. And so when you forgive, you are also saying, I'm willing. For you to rebuild my trust. But now the ball's in the other person's court because here is the thing. We give freedom. We give forgiveness, brother. We give forgiveness, but we have to earn trust. And when we break trust, we have to re-earn it. Here's the last thing because I'm way over time and it's this, refocus. The fourth principle is this, refocus your life. By the way, this whole rebuilding trust, this is part of the reason why Christian counseling would be a great help. Because you need someone helping, you know how to rebuild trust. And someone else can help you with that and this is why Christian counseling is so valuable. Here's the fourth principle refocus your life. Job chapter 11, verse 13 to 16. Devote your heart to God and stretch out. This is Job again. Stretch out your hands to Him. And if you put away the sin that is in your hand and you allow no evil to dwell in your tent, you don't allow wrong things, wrong attitudes. Hatred towards somebody else to dwell in your tent, to dwell in your life. If you release your offender, and you do not allow this now to dwell in your heart. Notice what's going to happen. Then you will lift up your face without shame and you will stand firm and without fear and you will surely forget your trouble recalling it only as water has gone by. Whatever it is, whatever has caused the pain, wouldn't you love a day to come in which I, it's, it's brought up somehow by somebody? And, oh, that's history. That's just waters that have gone by. When you begin to refocus yourself, we see, we always move to what we focus on. When you begin to refocus your life to good, your whole life, you have left that stuff. You have left that offense And you're heading in the right direction. Now look, I know some people have said to me, yes, but let me tell you something, pastor. I did what you said and it didn't work for me. And here's what I mean. When you said I should forgive, I forgave that person. I prayed and I forgave the person. I even told the person I forgave them. And every time I see that person, it just I get I get all upset all over again. I don't know how to get to the other side of this. It doesn't work for me. Oh, it'll work for you. Here is the deal: forgiveness is not always an event. Sometimes forgiveness, especially the deeper the wound has been, sometimes releasing the pain is a process. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes forgiveness is layered. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Here's what you can do. It'll work for you. What happens is you've forgiven somebody, and then to, when one of two things happen, this is when all the bad, the bad feeling comes back up, you see the person or you hear the person's name. Oh, as soon as you hear that person, all that feeling comes back up again. So what do you do? I've already forgiven the person, but here it is all back. Here's what you do. You forgive the person again. Now, don't go to the person. Good grief every day going, in, by the way, I'm forgiving you again. Don't do that. That is not going to work out well. This is between you and God. You go to God and say, God, yesterday I forgave this person. I'm still having today bad feelings. And I just want you to know I am forgiving that person again. Just between you and me, God, I'm forgiving that person again. The next day, I'm forgiving that person again. The next day, I'm forgiving that person again. Can I tell you something, I know this works. There is coming a day in which it'll all be gone. You are laying down layers of forgiveness because the wound was so deep and you have to keep laying down the layers and you just keep laying them down and a day will come in which you will see the person you will hear their name there's no bad feelings and on that day you'll know <laughs> I got on the other side of this this really is waters that have gone by and you kept laying down the layers you're doing the right thing don't stop Keep doing it. Here's the last. Job 42 verse 12, and God blessed the last part of Job's life even more than he had blessed the first. And I'm saying this could happen to you. This could happen to you. Let this hurtful thing, this difficult thing, I can't get on the other side of it. Yes, you can. Let this time so grow you, so mature you, so deepen you that God ends up blessing you even more than when, before it ever started. And God uses this for your good. I'm asking all of you that are watching online, do you know Christ as your savior? You've given your heart to the Lord. Have you started this journey with God and you haven't? Do it today. Do it right now. Share with that person who is there caring for you. I am giving my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm starting the journey with Christ. Wherever you are on whatever campus, let this be the day you begin that journey if you haven't already. And if you have already, let this be the day you take the next step. I'm being baptized. I'm joining the church. I'm joining a small group. I'm going to get involved in caring about others and ministering to others in some volunteer ministry. Whatever may Maybe it is, I made a decision today to forgive. God help me do it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask, oh God, would you use this moment in our life to help us take the next step in our lives. Many come to know Christ as Savior, many become a part of this church or be baptized, many Whatever it is, but for many in this room, in one of these rooms and online, for many, I got to release these offenders. I've got to release this hurt. I've got a life to live, and I don't want to be weighted down with this. God, I pray you would move in hearts to come to what love really means. Love forgives. Moving hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.